Okay. Hey, everyone. Can you just give me a wave so I know you're there? Brilliant. Thank you. If you've got a Bible, could you just uh, grab it and turn to John chapter 19? John chapter 19. We will get there shortly. Let me just sort myself out here. Okay. Brilliant. Good evening, everyone. If you don't met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. We're going through the uh, the fifth part of our Easter sermon series as we travel from Christmas to the cross. And we're looking at the phrases, um, the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. There are seven of them recorded in our Gospels. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you'll find seven different words uh, that Jesus spoke. There's three in John and three in Luke and one that's in Matthew and Mark um, that is repeated there. And the seven words are, there was Father, forgive them. Uh, there's today you'll be with me in paradise. There's behold your mother. There's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst, and then it is finished, and into your hands I commit my spirit. And so we're on the, uh, the fifth one today. And these words are hugely significant to us because they represent the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry, and they sum up for us what was achieved by his death on the cross. And seven itself is actually the biblical number for completeness. And so there is a completeness to them. Um, and it's like taking a diamond and looking at different facets about what does Jesus' death on the cross mean for us, for his people. And they reveal the heart of God to us. They reveal what the cross achieved for us. Uh, and so as we approach Good Friday, we, and we particularly remember Jesus' death uh, we are going to meditate on these words and look at them. And so far we've done uh, words one, two, three, and four. Uh, the first word was Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we learned that Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice to pay our debt, the debt we accrued through sin, uh, even though we were still his enemies. And as a result, we can receive forgiveness. The second word was today you'll be with me in paradise, spoken to the criminal who was next to him on the cross. And then through that, we learned that Jesus offers salvation to all who know uh, they are guilty and cry out to him for mercy. Uh, the third word was behold your mother. And we learned that Jesus died to create a new family, new relationships, which is the church. And then the fourth one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where we learned that Jesus bore the wrath of God so that we don't have to. He was separated and abandoned from God, so we will never have to be. If you've missed any of those, please catch up. They're all on our website or our podcast. You can download them. And as we go into the fifth word um, tonight, just want to remind us again of the context that we're facing in that Jesus at this moment is being crucified. He is kind of coming to the end of his earthly life, the, earthly life, the culmination of his ministry. And crucifixion was a horrifically cruel form of punishment that was used throughout the Roman Empire uh, at the time as a means of terror um, to just put uh, scare people into the power of Rome and what happens to those who cross the authority um, of Rome. It was considered so bad, so horrible that Roman citizens were actually exempt from it. They, they were something that they would never have to suffer, but for the many other nations around about that have been conquered by Rome, they were wide open to it. It was considered so horrible and so painful that a new word was invented to describe what was happening to someone who was dying on the cross, excruciating. We have that word in our English now. It literally means from the cross, excrucia. Um, crucifixion itself was often preceded by flogging, scourging, beating, which could in and of itself killed uh, the victim. But after that horrific ordeal, they were taken out 
and they were nailed to a cross through their wrists and through their ankles and they were hung um, out and left to die. And this was done publicly. So as well as the physical ordeal that an individual was going through, it was a emotional ordeal as well because they were humiliated and shamed, uh, stripped naked, uh, bloodied and beaten and just literally left uh, hung to hang there and die. And this was often done in a very public place um, on a main thoroughfare, on a crossroad, so everyone got to see it and insults were hurled at the victim in order to pile on the shame and pile on the humiliation that that person was going through. And it would often take them hours and hours and hours, if not days uh, to die. And so the pain and the suffering was just kind of extended for as long as possible. And into this context is where we hear Jesus speak. And we have a privilege to come close to him at this time and to listen in uh, to what he's saying. And uh, what I'm going to read for you today is just a couple of verses from uh, John chapter 19, as we look at the fifth word Jesus spoke from the cross. So if you've got your Bible, go into John 19, and we're going to start at verse 28. And I'm just going to read verses 28 and 29 to you. And it says this, it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And we just read that again. It's just a couple of verses. It says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. So the word we're looking at tonight is the fifth word. It's the, um, the second one we found uh, from John's Gospels. And um, I'm going to look at two things. I'm going to look at the plan and then I'm going to look at the fulfillment. So verse 28 is the plan. It says this. Uh, it begins after this. So John is contexting it for us. So what's happened at this point? We've had the crucifixion. Jesus has gone through the trial and the arrest, and the betrayal of Judas and the, the courts and uh, the beating and the flogging. And he's been led out. Um, to die. And John himself in his gospel has already um, detailed one of the words from the cross, which we've already heard about, behold your mother, behold your son. Um, and he's saying after this, um, um, this is where Jesus is speaking to. We've had the dividing of garments uh, and all that. And he's saying, knowing that all was finished. So what these words mean is now Jesus knew what was going on. John wants to remind us that despite the horror of the crucifixion, and the ordeal, both physical uh, and emotional, and we saw last week with that fourth word, spiritual as well, Jesus is aware of what's happening. He knows what's going on with his crucifixion. He is still kind of aware, compass mentis, and, and, is, and, and is not a hapless victim to the situation, but he is still the sovereign Lord who created everything and he is still in control of what's happening he is aware of all the things that are going on and he knows he's coming to a point of completion and keeping getting things finished it's all the necessary steps that had happened and if you read the easter story some of you are reading through luke and you're getting to the back end of luke and you're coming to that kind of last 
uh, section of Jesus' life and all the things that are going on and then his, his, uh, the whole crucifixion process and everything that led up to it. Jesus is fully aware and knows that this is all in place and it's coming to the end. He's saying now it's all been fulfilled. It's all been finished. All the things, all the steps that were meant to be taken, they've all been done. And he knows that his death is near at this point. And when it says um, to fulfill scripture, that word fulfill is the same root word as the finish. So there's both that sense of John is doubly wanting to get across that, that what the whole plan, the whole process is coming to the end. And Jesus is aware of that. And then he drops this and he says to fulfill scripture. In my Bible, it's kind of in brackets, kind of parentheses saying, OK, this has happened. Um, but it's all to fulfill scripture. And what this is, what this is telling us, what John wants to know, write us as the gospel writer, as this is all in line with the sovereign plan of God. This is all in line with the sovereign plan of God that has been revealed in his word. That's when, when he talks about scripture, that's what he's referring to. Jesus is referring to the Old Testament because that's scripture we would have had at time. We now have our New Testament as well, but that's what would have been in mind in John's mind. Um, and he's saying, according to that, according to what had been laid out in the Old Testament, everything had been done. Everything had been put in order and it was now coming to an end. And throughout the Old Testament, there are images and allusions and shadows that are pointed, that have been pointing forward to this moment. Um, one, uh, theologians often describe it as the, the Old Testament it was concealed in the New Testament, it has been revealed. So all the things that the Old Testament, all those shadows, that illusions, that images, they were all pointing forward to a savior, to one who would come, who would save God's people. And we read it back. If you go right back to Genesis chapter three, you find about um, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, it talks about one coming to crush the head of the serpent, pointing forward to Jesus. We have the imagery of the Passover, which we've touched on in, in this series in the book of Exodus where the, the people of God went out and they put blood on the door frames of, of their houses and God passed over and the firstborn um, was, was saved because they sacrificed the lamb and Jesus is the lamb and it all just points forward to him. We have the sacrificial system, which is laid out in books like Leviticus about atoning for sin. How do you atone for sin? And so they would sacrifice lands to, to atone for sins so a man could come before God. Um, but it was all pointing forward to the one perfect lamb who would one day deal with all sin. And then we have the tabernacle where, where the presence of God dwell and you couldn't come into that because of sin. But actually it's pointing forward to one day God coming to earth as Jesus, as the tabernacle where the presence of God dwelled in him. And then there's the prophetic voices that we read through the, through the people like Isaiah who's saying one is coming and he's going to suffer and he's going to die. And he's going to bear all the, 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 the pain and the sorrow that we have. And he's going to take it on himself. And so Jesus is dying at this point in fulfillment from the scriptures because they're all pointing forward to it. And then Jesus says his words. And it's a really simple thing. It's only two words in our English. It's the shortest of all the words. It's just I thirst. And the reason Jesus is saying is again to try and fulfill the scripture. And on a physical level. He has been beaten, um, flogged. He's been dragged out in uh, the midday sun uh, in first century Israel, where it would have been baking hot. He has been pinned to this cross and just left there. He would be dehydrated. Um, and so him crying out for thirst would have just been 
part of the kind of the torture of crucifixion as well as the pain um, that he's felt physically and uh, the humiliations one another is that just his mouth would have been dry and he would have been wanting to drink and he cries out to fulfill the scripture I thirst because he knows what the scriptures he knows what was written long ago about him and he's fulfilling it in his death not just in his life and the things he's done but also in his dying he is fulfilling scriptures and so he cries out, I thirst. And then we come to the following verse, which is the fulfillment of that scripture. Because it says there was a jar there of sour wine standing by. And a sour wine was a, just a cheap drink that was common to the Roman soldiers that would have been there and the general lower classes. It was just something they had around um, and a drink. And when we go back into our Old Testament, we find Psalm 69, verse 21, Psalm 69, verse 21, when it says this, if you go back and read that written many, many years before, hundreds of years before Jesus came around, it's a psalm there of David. And it says, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Now, John, in the writing of his gospel, has already quoted Psalm 69 twice, both in verse two and in verse, uh, sorry, chapter two and verse uh, chapter 15. Chapter 2, chapter 15, he's already quoted this psalm. And John is making the point here that even in Jesus' death, even in the smallest details of a man dying on a cross, having a mouth that is parched, his lips would have been cracked and beaten um, from the blood, even as he's crying out for thirst, it's all part of the fulfillment of the sovereign plan of God. Something that was laid down in eternity past and in the presence, God the Son is completely fulfilling it. He is obeying every aspect. He is faithful to the end. And what we have is David writing this psalm many years ago and Jesus as the greater David, the son of David, the one in that line is coming and fulfilling it and living it out. And in response to his cry for thirst, what happens? It says that they offered him a drink. They would have got the drink. It says they put it on a sponge, which would have held the liquid. And they used a kind of a short branch and they kind of put it up to his mouth so he could take something uh, to drink. And it's important here that there's a, if some of you are kind of have been reading around the gospels on this, you'll know in uh, Mark chapter 15, Jesus was offered drink, but he actually denied it on the way to the cross. He said, no, because that was a different kind of drink. That was a wine mixed with myrrh, it said. And that was um, basically an anesthetic to dull the pain. It was a drug. And he, he refused that. But in this one, because he's fulfilling the plan of God, he's taking the drink. And he says, I thirst. And they drink him. And interesting, it says they put it on a branch. But what kind of branch? It was a hyssop branch. Where have we come across the hyssop branch before? Well, in our looking at the Passover, when they put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the house, what were they told to use? They were told to use a hyssop branch. So the blood of Jesus, again, it's just another illusion saying that Jesus died. He is the lamb of God. He is the Passover lamb, the perfect one. All the scripture is coming together and being fulfilled in this moment. As Jesus dies, three days later, he rises again. But this is what the plan of God has been focusing from eternity past. It's all been coming forward to this moment. And in Jesus' death, even in the most mundane details, he is fulfilling the words of scripture he is fulfilling what has been written down for hundreds of years and held precious by the jewish people by the, the people of god and even as he dies as part of the eternal plan of god to redeem mankind paying the penalty for sin he is fulfilling the prophetic words of scripture that were pointing together all the way to him and john is wanting us to see that even in something so small as i thirst 
Jesus is being obedient and fulfilling the word of God as it was written by the prophets of old. So what can we learn from this thing? What can we learn from this word for us now? There's two things I want us uh, to take away today um, as we do this. The first thing is um, Jesus knew suffering intimately. Jesus knew suffering intimately. These words remind us of the suffering Jesus faced on the cross, particularly the physical suffering. Jesus suffered physically through the whole series. We've looked at it every week because he's a man dying on a cross and we come back to it again now. He would have faced uh, the, the physical pain, the extreme dehydration there uh, with his mouth clinging, to, uh, sorry, his tongue clinging to the inside of his mouth, his um, lips cracked. He would have just been at the end of himself, um, just uh, expiring, bleeding from the, from the flogging that had taken place and he's been left to hang out to die. He has gone through emotional and mental suffering of, of a huge kind, being rejected and abandoned by friends, being left alone, being betrayed uh, and, and taken, being guilty at, a, at a, a mockery of a court where false charges were brought and he was, the judge found him guilty, yet he's completely innocent. He's been insulted and mocked by the secular government uh, and the soldiers who were there and the religious authorities that were expected uh, to, to look to him as the Messiah, even the public going past have mocked him, even the soldiers who execute him have mocked him. He is completely abandoned and alone and he's faced spiritual suffering. We saw this last week where he faced the wrath of his father in heaven for the sin that we committed. He was innocent. We were guilty. He took our punishment. He took our pain. Jesus has suffered in more and deeper ways than we could ever suffer. Whatever situation you've gone through, whatever you've experienced in your life, physical, emotional suffering, spiritual suffering, Jesus has faced more and deeper. And John is reminding us again in this situation. The second thing is that God is in control. That God is in control. That despite Jesus' suffering, despite the horrific nature of what he was facing, it was all part of the plan of God despite the horror of the cross despite the just the shame and the suffering that came with it it was all part of God's plan because we know this because scripture is being fulfilled in this moment and we have it in a couple of ways we've got scripture being fulfilled uh in generally um in the sense of it's reminding us of who God is and what he's about and it reminds us that God is the creator of everything. He is the sustainer of everything. He is the sovereign one over all things, that he is a personal God, that he is eternal and uh, purposeful, and he's bringing his plans um, to fruition in this place, and they all point towards him. But we also know that the Bible talks about Jesus specifically, not just the general sense of who God is, but actually specifically, that God became flesh and lived amongst us. And in Jesus' life and death, we're seeing so many scriptures being fulfilled in so many different ways. And these are texts that were written hundreds, even thousands of years before Jesus was even born. And they come and they find their fulfillment in him. If you've ever read Matthew's gospel, um, there's uh, time and time again, it says um, to fulfill scripture. And then Matthew's always quoting from the Old Testament, drawing the point, join the dots up for, for people who, who may not know. And we find out as we read the Old Testament, we find out that the Messiah would have been born of a woman. 
find that in Genesis 3. We find out that he's been born in, uh, born in Bethlehem in Micah 5. We find that he would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7. We find out that in Genesis 49, he would come from the, the, the tribe of Judah. In 2 Samuel 7, we find out he's from the line of David particularly. In Isaiah 7, again, he's, he'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. He will be declared the son of God. In Psalm 2, 7, it says that. And that's fulfilled in Matthew 3 in his baptism. We, we found out we see we were speaking parables, it says. And we've just done a sermon series all about the parables Jesus told. We found out that if you read our Old Testament, that Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey in Zechariah 11. We find out that in, even in his death, that he would be hung on a tree, that none of his bones would be broken, that he would die with criminals, that his side would be pierced. All of this is written out in our Old Testament. And they go on and on and on and on. I read um, one text um, from some research. He said that Jesus fulfilled um, somewhere over 200 New Testament prophecies, uh, sorry, Old Testament prophecies in his life. And he filled most of them in one day, which was the day of his death, where he fulfilled multiple all in one go. Jesus' life and death is a fulfillment of scripture, which reminds us that whatever's happening, God is in control. God has brought it all together. Jesus knew what he was doing as God the Son. And so when he said, I thirst, he did it for fulfill the scriptures. He wasn't some hapless victim uh, that public opinion turned against him and his nice moral teacher kind of was at the, the whim of a mob and got killed. No, it's all part of the sovereign plan of God to work out the fulfillment of the redemption of mankind, that we might be his people and we might be with him uh, forever. So what can we do with this? Two things. I want us just to take away and think about doing um, even now and throughout this week. What can we do with this uh, word from the cross? The first thing we can do is we can go to him in our suffering. We can go to him in our suffering. Whatever you're facing now, whatever you're going through, particularly in this season, you can go to God because he knows and he understands he knows because he knows everything is God, but, but he knows because he's been through it himself. He has experienced suffering, physical, he's experienced suffering, emotional, mental, he's, he's experienced suffering, spiritual, he's been through it all. He knows what that's like, which means we can go to him. We can speak to him. We can go to him and pour out our hearts to him in prayer. We can go to him and tell him how um, we are feeling and how we're doing this and the reality is this is something that's relevant for all of us one because we all suffer and we all go through difficulties at different stages in our life but also in this season particularly it's difficult uh, it's relevant because all of us are face facing a kind of a level of low-grade trauma through what's happened over the last 12 months we've all faced difficulties we've all faced upset to our kind of routine and life things that we were looking forward to a bit have lost have been taken them we've lost uh, members of family and friends relationships have kind of gone on hold because we couldn't see people we've been isolated we've had job pressure we've had life pressure we're all in that situation and in this time we can go to God in our suffering and if we're going to go to God in the suffering, I might suggest you go about it in two ways. First one, be honest about what you're facing. Talk to God specifically about what you're going through, not generally, but specifically. Name specific situations, specific people. Uh, put a name on it, describe it. He already knows, so there's no surprise to him. But by us speaking out, there is just value in our honesty before God. 
it's valuable um, just being able to speak it out. He wants to hear from you. He wants to know you. He wants to um, be a part of your life, have a relationship with you, connect with you. And so just being honest about what you're facing is important. And also then be honest about how you're feeling. He's not going to be offended and he can't, you can't hurt his feelings by what you say. But be honest. If you're angry, be angry. If you're sad, cry. Be specific about what you're going through and be specific about how you're feeling about it. Name your emotions. And you can do this by talking to God. You can do it by shouting at God. You can do it by writing something down. You can do it by going out for a walk or staying in your home. It doesn't matter. But you can go to him and be honest. If you've never read any of the Psalms, many of them have raw and emotional language that would embarrass the sensibilities of us kind of more maybe middle class Britishness, where we tend to keep those things locked in. That's not the way of God. That's not the way that we read about in Bible. We need to be men and women who are who go to God in our difficulty, who go to God in our suffering, who cry out to him. The second thing I'd love us to take away from this is that we are to be men and women who trust what is written in his word, who trust what is written in his word. Now, the, the point of what John was making there was everything that happened to Jesus was to fulfill scripture. And we have God's word in our Bibles and we have the privilege and the pleasure of reading it and seeing that fulfillment worked out. The Old Testament, which points towards Jesus' death and resurrection, and the New Testament, which then looks back and explains it. And we need to be men and women who trust the word of God. But to do that, we actually need to read it. We need to read it. We need to be willing and women who are willing to learn about God by re re reading it and, and engaging with it. It's God's chosen form to, to reveal to us his plans and purposes. He sent Jesus to kind of be that way for men and women to connect with him and then he had it all written down so that the generations after uh, Jesus had ascended to heaven could read about it and learn about God and put their faith and trust in him. Jesus, um, John even says at the end of his gospel, if you skip on a kind of chapter in a bit, you find the whole reason that he's written all this down is that people would know Jesus. He wants them to read it so they would come to know Jesus and so God's given us his Bible here, read this. This is how you get to know me. This is how you learn about me. And as people, we should be reading it and engaging it with daily. And there's no alternative and there's no excuse. As the men and women of God, as followers of Jesus, we should be engaging with his word regularly. I know a lot of you are reading through Christmas to the cross with our Luke series, which is brilliant. Reading a gospel, reading about Jesus um, and getting involved there. But if you haven't done that and you're kind of like, what do I do? How about start meditating on these seven words? Look them up in your Bible, mark them out, write them out. They're only a couple of verses. Look at them, start thinking about them, read them. Uh, let God speak to you through them. After Easter, we're going to get into 2 Timothy. If you've never read 2 Timothy, maybe start having a crack at that, reading that. Maybe you want to read another gospel. You think, well, I've done Luke. How about I'll try Matthew and have a read of that? Whatever you do, get, make a habit and get into God's word. That's where we find out about it. That's where we find out. We learn about Jesus. We learn about him as the, the one who fulfills scripture, who's fulfilling the plan of God. What I'm doing at the moment is I'm currently uh, reading through uh, two King, one Kings and two Kings. I use the scripture journals, which I think are so good from uh, the ESV, um, which just have the words of God on one side, and then I can just take notes on the other side and draw, draw it. When I finish this one, I'll do another one. But I'm reading through one and two Kings. I have a commentary to help me because sometimes I don't understand what it says in there. So when I have someone smarter than me to point some stuff out, I find that really useful. And I just 
jot a few notes, read a little bit each day, but whatever it is, work, find something that works with you. We need to be men and women who dwell in God's word. And through that, we will learn about him. We will learn about the sovereign plan of redemption that began in eternity past and will only be fulfilled in eternity future. We find out that God has broken into this world through Jesus' resurrection from the dead and the creation, um, the new creation, the renewing power of God has broken into this world. Jesus is just the first through his resurrection body and we are now living in the good of that. And that is going to continue throughout this world till it will all be recreated and we'll have the new heavens and the new earth and God's kingdom is breaking out. We read about the plan for the church. God's only plan is to have a people for himself that will be there to see the kingdom come and to serve the poor and preach the gospel and plant churches and draw the, the orphan, the widow into the family so that no one is left out. We, we find out how to live this life in holiness and what we say yes to and what we say no to. And we hear about that the power of the spirit that is in us to enable that to happen. Um, we find out all that Jesus is always with us by his spirit and we can never be alone and he will always stay with us even when the good times even when the bad times this is how we're going to get through this situation this is how we're going to get through to the easing of restrictions and, and get through this pandemic is only because God is with us but the way we find that out is we go back to our bibles and we read it and we listen to it and we understand it and from that comes revelation and learning and then we can live out our walk with Jesus daily so we need to be men and women who trust in God's word but the only way we can trust it is if we know it and if we read it and we make it part of our lives and so whatever your situation is with your bible pick it up start reading it find someone in your life group who you think looks like they know what they're doing and ask them how do you do it help me I want someone to to teach me I need to be accountable if you can't find anyone in your life group come find me I'll help you but we need to be men and women who get into our word and then we trust it why do we trust it? Because it's God's word to us and we've seen it fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the, the sum total of it all. It all points towards him ultimately. And so as we read our Old Testament, it points forward to Jesus. As we read our New Testament, it points back to his death and resurrection. And in him, we find the fulfillment of scripture. So when Jesus says, I thirst, He's fulfilling God's word. He's being obedient to God's plan. And so we can trust him. We can know what's going to happen because God's all been written out. We know what's happening at the end because I've read the end of the book. It's good. God wins. And that's fantastic.